San Francisco for August 17th, 2023. The time is 4.30. I'm Margot Schaub and I serve as the Library Commission Affairs Analyst. This meeting is being held in person in the main library credit auditorium and virtually on Zoom. Members of the public can observe the meeting using the Zoom system by following the link in the library's event calendar or by calling 1-669-444-9171 and entering the meeting webinar number 826-8918-1339. Public comment will be taken both in person and remotely by video or call-in for each item on the agenda. We will conduct public comment with attendees in the CRET first and then move to Zoom for public comment. Each comment is limited to three minutes unless otherwise noted. To make public comment when connected by phone, please raise your hand by dialing star nine to be added to the remote queue for the agenda item you intend to comment on. Individuals joining by Zoom should click the raise the hand button to be added to the queue. Mike Smith with Media Service Operations will moderate Zoom virtual public comment. Mr. Smith will call upon Zoom attendees by name or by caller number for each attendee who wishes to provide public comment. If we experience any technical issues with Zoom, we will recess and try to address the issue. Please try logging back into Zoom if there are technical problems. Library commissioners in attendance are President Connie Wolf, Vice President Pete Wong, Commissioners Maul and Lomax Ghiraduzzi. Thank you very much. And hello and welcome to the August 17th, 2023 meeting of the San Francisco Public Library Commission. Um, to those of us here in Corette, we are delighted to see you. Welcome. And we are very pleased to welcome our virtual audience via the Zoom platform. Happy to be having everyone via Zoom tonight. Um, we have a very full and wonderful meeting ahead, and we will start with the Ramatush Ohlone Land Acknowledgement. The area known as San Francisco is the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone peoples of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the original peoples of this land, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as the caretakers of this place. We recognize that we benefit from living, working, and learning on their traditional homeland. As uninvited guests, we affirm their sovereign rights as first peoples and wish to pay respects to the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community. If you have not already done so, all of the materials for today's meetings are available for download on the Library Commission page of the library's website, sfpl.org. Today, we have a total of five agenda items, and we begin with item number one, which is general public comment. Operations, how many people have joined us via Zoom and have any raised their hand to offer public comment? Madam President, at this time, uh, we have seven attendees for the Zoom, and no one has currently raised their hand for public comment. Um, thank you very much. We are going to begin this agenda item with public comment um, from members of the public present here in the Karat Auditorium. Final and, and afterwards, we will then take public comment from members of the public observing or listening via Zoom. So public com general public comment um, on agenda item number one is now open here in Corret Auditorium.
I'm Barbara Alvarez with the Friends of the San Francisco Public Library. We just wanted to say we just started our fiscal year fundraising for the library. We're very excited to uh, work to raise um, public support for community programs and in particular start raising funds for the mission in Chinatown branches to outfit the interiors. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, uh, commissioners. My name is Kate Lazarus. I'm on the board of the Friends of the Public Library. I just wanted to say hello and thank you since this is my first commission meeting. I'm uh, looking forward to learning more and appreciate all of your service. Uh, the circulation report looked really interesting. I feel like maybe I'm the only one who hasn't read Prince Harry's book. So um, I'll, I'll give that some thought. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Other um, public comment here in Coret Auditorium? Thank you, Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California 94117-0544. The Postal Service presumably has confidentiality that email and the net, the web in general does not. Uh, a number of issues. Uh, We've talked repeatedly about and repeat again the very toxic and problematic issues with respect to Facebook, as reported by Francis Haugen, formerly a high official in Facebook, at a Senate hearing in October two years, almost two years ago, and in other reports as well. Uh, the social media in particular are uh, seriously problematic in a variety of ways that I won't go into right now. I've previously asked the library commissioners to provide Library Users Association with your uh, email addresses that you use to do your library business. The Sunshine Task Force has said that you should turn those over, and I'm asking you to do that to our email address, libraryusers2004 at yahoo.com. There's an additional very, very serious and dangerous thing that the library has opened the door to reaching people using computers here. Normally in a library, what we've had in the past is pretty much a, what you would call a safe space. A book isn't going to hack you. A book isn't going to solicit you in some fashion for a scam or a sale uh, in some fashion that you didn't actually request. But the web is full of this. And the latest wrinkle is AI, artificial intelligence. Uh, today's New York Times has an article about folks who are trying to test AI to see what all bad things it can do, although we know there's plenty bad. I'll read you from one paragraph that I think is particularly notable, and I think the library needs to not tout, as it does in all of its publicity, in much of its publicity, the social media, nor the internet without at the least giving some alerts, warnings, and education. The organizers of this DEF CON test tapped into intensifying alarm over the continued ability of generative artificial intelligence to produce damaging lies, influence elections, ruin reputations, and enable a multitude of other harms. Government officials voiced concern and organized hearings around AI companies, some of which are also calling for the industry to slow down and be more careful. The, the industry leaders themselves are practically begging for regulation, and they've been to the president's, to the White House. Library needs to consider what to do about this policy-wise. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Any further public, general public comment here in Corret Auditorium? Seeing there's no further public comment here in Corret, we will now turn to any participants um, via Zoom. Um, operations, if there's anyone who wishes to make general public comment via Zoom, please put them through. Thank you. Madam President, at this time, there are no uh, callers with their hand raised in the queue. I will pause briefly to allow any callers who wish to join to do so. Madam President, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Thank you very much, operations. Seeing that there's no further public comment either here in Corret or via Zoom, um, general public comment agenda item number one is now closed. We will now turn to item number two on the agenda, which is discussion and possible action to approve the July commission meeting minutes. We will open up for public comment before our dis commission discussion on this item. Um, we will begin once again with public comment here in Corret Auditorium and then move to those participating or listening via Zoom. Public comment on the um, July Commission meeting minutes is now open here in Corret Auditorium. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association. I don't know if I'm, can you hear me okay? Thank you. Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. Uh, overall, I think these are among the worst and the most censored of your minutes. And it seems to me intentional. And in, in some cases, absolutely reverses what the meaning is of what I said. Uh, under general public comment, uh, I mentioned that uh, there are AI makers, not just folks who are requesting the government regulate them because of their own concern, because of their concern about the potential for human extinction, not and AI, but as a result of AI. And that's why they're meeting in the White House with the president. And that's why the DEF CON folks are having, uh, with the White House encouragement, tests of what bad AI might do. And there's plenty. Problem with testing it is it's constantly changing. So whatever they find today might not be the whole story or might change tomorrow. Under public comment for the um, minutes, I said that I was concerned about Wi-Fi on after hours. No. Turned off after hours at one location, Eureka Valley Harvey Milk Branch. And that was in response, unlike where other libraries don't get rid of books when they're pressured publicly from some minority or another. Here, when pressure has been applied by a local group of homeowners, presumably, and the supervisor, Mandelman, despite the library having done its own study showing no relation between Wi-Fi on or off and crime, or crime reports as I understand it, they shut it off at that 
location specifically because people didn't want homeless people around. Um, that's not in here at all. With respect to the strategic plan, I said the online version, not the version of the slogan of the library, but the strategic plan has no mention of the word book or books, materials, read or reading, joy, and so on. And the planners have gone halfway through the process without actually talking to the mem members of the public other than with pre-planned uh, pre uh, structured things like a questionnaire and possibly some uh, focus groups. Thank you. Thank you. Any further public comment on um, item number two on the agenda here in Coret? Seeing that there's no further public comment here in Coret, um, operations, we will now turn to participants um, joining us via the Zoom link. Um, if there's anyone with a raised hand, could you please put them through now? Thank you. Madam President, at this time that no one has raised their hand, I will pause briefly to allow anyone who wishes to do so to do so. Madam President, there are no callers who wish to comment at this time. Thank you very much, operations. Seeing that there's no further request for comment, public comment is now closed and we move to the commission discussion and action on item number two. Would someone like to make a motion to approve the minutes of the July commission meeting? I move. Um, we have a motion from Commissioner Mall. Do we have a second? I second. We have a, a second from Commissioner Lomax Garaducci. And I will take the roll call. Commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf? Aye. Vice President Huang. Aye. Commissioner Mall. Aye. Commissioner Lomax Giarduzzi. Aye. Commissioner Bolander. Aye. Uh, the, the motion passes unanimously. We now move on to item number three. Um, very exciting presentation. Um, looking forward to it. Um, this is on our library collection trends. Um, and we're, I'm delighted to turn this over to city librarian, Michael Lambert. Thank you. Thank you, President Wolf. Good evening, library commissioners. Library staff appreciates this opportunity to present an overview of the library circulation trends with regards to utilization of both print and digital collections. Shelly Cocking, our Chief of Collections and Technical Services, will be giving this presentation this evening. Thank you so much, Michael. Yes, as Michael said, I'm Shelly Cocking. I'm the Chief of Collections and Technical Services, and I'm going to be talking about trends with our library collections. I wanted to start out by saying thank you guys for uh, your continued support for us and providing these really healthy collections budgets, both for the print collection as well as for the e-collections. I also wanted to let you know that we're making a little manual move of our budget. So we had been, you guys had approved an opening day collection for the mission branch. And as you know, the construction is slowed um, there. So we wanted to make sure we moved that $850,000 over to this fiscal year. So we'll be able to buy the books closer to when the library is actually gonna open. Um, you can also see a five-year um, graph of our circulation trends. You can see we're definitely um, improving and growing back after our closure during the COVID year. And while our physical circulation isn't quite up to what it was in fiscal year 2009, 
our e-circulation has stayed really strong and we had the exciting event of hitting 12.5 million checkouts this year. We had a nice party here at the main to celebrate <laughs> that. And normally during this presentation, I like to give you the top 10 titles mm -hmm. for the year. Um, but this year I decided to split it out because I noticed some interesting trends for our physical collection. So at the bottom, you see what you would have normally seen, you know, 10 really popular books that you would have um, seen on any bestseller year, um, bestseller list throughout the year. But the top list, which is our physical collection, is really different this year. You can see the One City, One Book and on the same page title, as well as a few of the bestseller adult books. But the second place is actually a DVD of the first blockbuster film that's been out since the COVID times, mm -hmm. and then four children's books. And what this really shows is that our physical collection is serving a different population mm -hmm. and a different purpose than our ebook collection, which mm -hmm. seems to be really focused for adult materials. That's great. Oops. Um, you've seen this uh, patron type flow before. Randy McClure has shared it with you, and we've been using um, this to kind of track how behavior has changed as people come back and use their branches again. And what this tells me as a collection development person is that there's a much smaller percentage of people who are just focusing only on physical collections. So I need to make sure when I'm breaking up my budget that I'm uh, balancing how we spend the money in the appropriate places. During last year's presentation, I talked to you about the real big difficulties we were having getting print books into our buildings in a timely fashion. Much in the way we couldn't get toilet paper, we were still having trouble getting books in. And this continued to be true throughout the first half of the fiscal year. We actually had some popular titles that we received um, about two months after the street date. So not surprisingly, people shifted over and used ebooks to get a hold of those books. The good news is in January, we've really seen a big turnaround. Um, Prince Harry's Spare was the first title that we got in. We actually had copies in our building two days before the, uh, two days after the street date, we were able to get more copies and get them out to the branches because the hold queue had gone crazy after an interview. And we managed to do that in just four days. So the physical world is starting to get back up to speed finally um, after two and a half uh, long years. Um, Library Journal does a, a collection survey for libraries throughout the United States every year. And one of the things that they mentioned in the last survey, and that I've read a lot in other uh, industry journals, is that people are really returning to print format for the leisure reading. They spend a lot of time on computer and Zoom still, and they want that book in hand. So if we can't get that book to them quickly, they're still willing to go with the ebook. But if we uh, keep working hard at getting them in the branches quickly, I hope to see circulation grow in that area. During the COVID years, we heard a lot about how people moved out of San Francisco, and now we're hearing about people moving into San Francisco, and the population of the city really shifted. So my staff has been spending a lot of time trying to get data and learn more about what each branch uh, neighborhood is like um, in today's world. They started by doing a staff survey and asking people questions that way. They're also going out and visiting the branches, doing a couple branches a month, so they can go and see how the branch is being used in person, as well as talk to the local staff there. And we're also getting down and looking really closely at the circ 
turnover rates for different things by call number. And we're comparing those that data from 2019 fiscal year, which is the last full year before COVID, and this last year, which is our first full year of being fully opened. We were excited to be able to increase the number of holds we allow patrons to do. This is not only good for the patrons, but it's also really good for my staff. Because if we see a hold on a title, we know, oh, there's demand and we'll be able to better estimate how many copies to get. And um, we're really trying to order like up to three months before street date so we can have that sense. Um, we also, if you remember, you uh, approved a $200,000 diversity audit budget, and we're going to be using that. And I'll go over that in more detail in a little bit. But in general, we've been really trying to rethink how our branch collections are made up of and what changes we need to make now um, that we're back fully in service. <clears throat> And on this slide, I just wanted to use some of, um, show you guys some of the statistics that we use. Um, we consider these in addition to things we know that are happening in the industry. And for example, if we just thought about circulation overall and looked and compared the branch circulation to from fiscal year 19 to now, we would see a, an overall drop of 14%. But we're not gonna go through and cut our budgets evenly. We wanna dig down and see, where should we be shifting the money around and make sure we're spending it on the right things? So not surprisingly, you know, feature films is a big area that's been hit, not just because people have moved to streaming, but also because there just haven't been really big blockbusters in the theater up until um, maybe this last month yeah. with Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, so that's an area we moved money out of last year, but we'll be keeping a close eye on the industry because maybe we need to shift money back there again, because now we're certainly going to need to get a lot of copies of Barbie DVD. Audiobooks is a format that was really slowing pre-COVID. And then when COVID hit, it's like just plummeted. People find it's much easier to download an audiobook on their phone rather than try to carry around those really big cases with up to 13, 14 discs in them. So, um, you know, the big question we have is how much longer are we going to be keep buying this format? It might be something that goes the way of VHS tapes. Um, we even now only buy about four copies for title, and we're only seeing an average of two circulations per um, copy a year. As you noticed in the top 10 for our physical collection, children's graphic novels have gone crazy. Um, they're very popular. Their circulation is up 49%. We did um, shift a lot of money into that area and got lots of multiple copies. Um, and this is actually the highest turnover I have ever seen in my, I've been doing collection development since 1995 here in the library. DVDs was the former one with 13 checkouts on a year and during its heyday. And now children's graphic novels are going out 14 times a year on average, which is pretty amazing. Adult fiction continues to be down a little bit um, in the branches. We're kind of thinking that really probably has more to do with the fact that we couldn't get the books in the building in time. If they show up two months late, people have already probably gotten the ebook and had a chance at it. Um, so we're continuing looking at there and trying to get those in in a timely fashion. Vinyl is another big area of growth for us. We have five locations that we added that to. Um, it still amazes me how popular it is. It's gone up 136%. 
Um, so we're looking for more branches who want to add it. We have three volunteers. And we'll be working with the chief of branches to see if we can actually fit the specialty furniture that they need somewhere in the branches and get them a collection over the next year. Um, trends in e-collection, as you saw, our e-circ is still up really strong. We did see a big growth, not surprisingly, when we closed for COVID since that was our only collections people could get their hands on. Then we saw a 10% drop the next year as we reopened and people could actually get a hold of the physical collections again. This last year, we only saw a small growth of 4%. That's down a lot from previous years. I'm probably to cover where we would see 20 to 30% increases. So we're keeping an eye on that to see if it's just gonna be a slow growth now or if we'll see spikes again. For e-learning, we uh, added two new um, resources. Get set up is basically tech support for seniors, and that's a really nice product we have. Um, Peterson's Test Prep, you might have heard of the print guides that they have out. And so we now have their database, which provides full access to all, you know, high school and college type tests, as well as career and vocational tests. My China Roots, um, that's a really exciting new genealogy database. You know, Ancestry has really had a limited access to records from China. So it's really great to be able to have this new database where it's getting, you'd be able to research your family history, um, either in China or different areas where people may have immigrated to. We focused a lot on um, going with digital magazines this year. Um, one thing that we um, found is now that we have more savvy patrons, um, being able to use their e-resources, we want to make sure we could provide material to them in those formats as well. So we purchased 150 additional titles on Flipster. Um, and, and not only did we get popular titles, but we really used an equity lens when doing this and made sure we got a very diverse collection. And um, especially they had a lot of titles in Spanish that we added. Some of you may remember we used to have The Economist, but then RB Digital left the library market. We weren't able to get um, that electronically for a couple of years. Very excited that it's back. And Press Reader, um, which is our newspaper, a digital newspaper, international newspapers uh, product, um, now has The Economist as well. We also considered getting um, archives of uh, magazines going back to their full, you know, from the beginning. Previously, the only way to get access to these is if you came down to the main and asked, um, let's say you wanted a volume from the 1930s um, National Geographic. You'd have to ask a staff person to go down and pull it out of storage and look at the issue in a big bound volume. Now we have 19 titles that you can get access to from home. And these are full scans of the pages. So you not only see the articles, but you see the advertisement and stuff from that time period, which is really what a lot of our patrons want to be able to see. And I'm going to end this area with um, a little preview. Um, many of you may already know about Access 360, which is one of our ebook platforms. Um, they're going to relaunch with a new look and a new name coming in September, and that's going to be called Boundless, uh, much in the way that Overdrive launched Libby a couple of years ago. And I bring this one up because I just wanted you to know that since we have this good, healthy budget that you provide us, we really work at having more than one platform for people to use. And that way we can ensure there's competition in the marketplace. So we have Hoopla, um, soon to be Boundless and Overdrive as popular ebook platforms.
All right, now I'm gonna switch gears. I had mentioned that we were doing our, um, our uh, collection audit. That is really about encouraging the, uh, the increasing the number of BIPOC topics that we have in our English language collection. But I thought before I speak about that, I wanted to just provide you with a full list of what my staff does over at the Collection and Technical Services Unit um, for our diversity and equity goals. For a long time, we've had a catalog that's multilingual. When we took on uh, BibliCommons as our interface rather than the old Sierra Classic, we were able to add all these different languages. And this image you see here on the right um, has all the different languages that people can choose to search in so they can search in the language they are most comfortable in. We also have a really strong cataloging staff. Um, the numbers next to the languages are how many people that are spe specifically hired to catalog in those languages. In addition, we have a mighty team of two who can catalog records, uh, books in languages that they don't actually read the language. So they learned all these tricks working with the vendors to be able to get these um, things like Farsi that we don't have a staff person that can read it, but we can still buy books and get them in the collection. We really wanna make sure that our collection is out and available to the public as a whole. So we have, you know, we allow it to be pulled from Links Plus, which is our interlibrary loan program that allows access to libraries all over the state of California. And so for our collection down at Western Edition, our wonderful Japanese language collection, people all over the state have access to that by putting on a hole through their own catalog. Um, we've been working with the staff at the Maine. They're trying to take some of their um, reference collections, like in the African-American Center, they said, hey, we'd like to make this circulating rather than making people come to us. And so we've worked with them to change that over to circulation and also buying more titles, more copies of those titles throughout the system. Now I'm going to go back to our collection audit. So when we're talking about that, we're thinking about English language material, but we're also spending more money trying to get more titles in in other languages. Two things we did this year that were um, pretty exciting is we finally were able to send staff to Barcelona and Guadalajara for book fairs. We sent them with a vendor and they were able to buy books there and bring them back into the United States and really increase the number of titles we had in Spanish. We also um, added another Chinese cataloger. We had kind of maxed out on how much money we could spend with them because we only had three staff that cataloged in that language. And so we hired a fourth and we hope to be able to increase the amount of titles we have throughout the system. When we're doing our research um, to see how we're doing with DEI titles, um, that's a term used in our industry that means diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, we have this wonderful product, um, Collection HQ. We've actually used Collection HQ um, back to, I think, 2012 to help with our collection maintenance. And they added this new module to their software that allows us to track how we're doing on different DEI topics throughout the system. So this is a top level view. And on the left, you can see what they mean by DEI. So it's all written out there for you. So you have a better idea of what we're trying to increase. The same product is really great because you can drill down and we can see what, how we're doing branch by branch. Uh, here's an example of a more of a top view, but I'm also drilling down and looking just at the Richmond branch. So we can see how we've been growing, 
you can see the uh, year we reopened and all those books came back and we had to do a little bit of extra weeding. So we dropped <laughs> and then we bought new books as people started checking out again. One of the types of information we would really have wanted to be able to use to help us grow our collections in the right way is census data. But looking at the census data, the way the government puts it out, didn't really help us know, like, how does that translate to our service areas for each of our branches? So the RSA, uh, Randy McClure and his team have worked on this lovely tool for us. And so now we can pick a branch neighborhood area and they've pulled out the census blocks, which are the, about the size of a city block. So it's really finite information. And then we can select different topics. So here you can see I've picked race as the topic, and this will help us decide what we want for DEI titles in this neighborhood based on the racial makeup of um, Richmond neighborhood. And you can also look it up um, what the languages are spoken at home. And not only do they tell us what types of languages are spoken in the homes in Richmond, it also tells us if these are duolingo people or are they monolingual. So you can see the top line, the 7.6%, um, those Asian and Pacific Islander people have limited English. So that means we want to make sure we have a good, healthy collection in their native languages so they can read and watch movies in that language. And we also have a good population that can read both in their native language as well as in English. And so we we'll wanna make sure we have materials for both um, good DEI topics in English as well as more additional languages for them. So I know that was a lot of information to throw at you all at once and I'm happy to answer any questions you might have um, and after the public comments. Thank you, Shelly. You really put the science in library science. And, you know, with Randy's team, he does the same with data science. So thank you very much. Um, thank you very much. That was an outstanding presentation. And I'm sure we'll have lots of questions and comments for you in the um, but we're going to begin with public comment here in Corret Auditorium and then move to public comment with our participants via the Zoom link. Um, so um, public comment is now open here in Corret Auditorium. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. There's a great deal here, and thank you very much for the report. And uh, there's no way I can talk about uh, the whole thing in three minutes. Uh, but I have to say, let's put it this way. Over the years, I've talked about the library's trend to debookification. And your budget overall is still relatively low compared with what has been said was your goal of 10 to 15%. It's always stayed on the low side of that overall. Uh, what I would say is good to see, but it's not been highlighted here, is that books are very, very, very strong, books and physical materials. So let's say, let's look at the five-year budget trend. For the last three fiscal years, the budget for um, electronic resources, actually four years, has exceeded print. Well, what about circulation? In 2021 to 2022, the 
physical materials circulation increased almost triple and then increased again in the last fiscal year shown. By showing percentages, it doesn't look so impressive, but it did go from 26% to 51.5% to 53% growth in every year. What happened with e-circulation? It dropped in the first year and stayed almost the same in the second it, of the three years we're talking about. E-books are dropping. Books are zooming. There's no mention here of the correlation or the connection between open hours and circulation. Every one of these post-19 years has had some portion where the library was either closed, which would presumably end up with zero book circulation and materials, or limited hours, and it still has not gone back to the full open hours of pre-COVID. Still Every branch that used to be open till nine is open only till eight o'clock. There's also the question of availability. I often see books that are not available except on a waiting list, and ebooks are available because you're spending all that money for availability. I sometimes see books only available, titles only available as e titles. There's no information about the correlation. There's an issue of promptness into the collection. And there's another issue, and that is important newspaper and magazine and other browsable stuff that typically are browsed, not counted when they're used at the library. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, any further public comment here in Corret Auditorium? Seeing there's no further public comment here, operations, if there's anyone um, participating via the Zoom link and have their hand raised, could you please put them through? Thank you. Madam President, at this time, there are no attendees with their hands raised. I will pause briefly to allow them to do so. Madam President, there are no commenters in the queue at this time. Thank you very much, Operations. Seeing that there's no further comment here in Corret or via the Zoom link, um, public comment on this item is now concluded. And we will now open this up for public uh, for um, comments and questions and discussion among the commissioners. And Shelley, I'm sure there will be some questions, so please join us. Um, thank you again for such a thorough and informative and just like so dense, so much there, so much effort going into this. And I just wanna also thank Randy and his team because you are great partners in this. So I open this up for public comment and um, Commissioner Huang. Uh, this is great, I love this. Um, there is, uh, unfortunately though, by doing such a good job on the presentation, you also invite more and more complex questions. So here we go. <laughs> um, so, uh, Look, I, I think my my view on this topic and how we fund our collections, um, I'm just going to be very explicit about this. I'm not personally, and I'm curious the rest of the commissions to be on this. I don't think we're necessarily team book for like physical collection versus team e-resources. E like I'm team sort of just getting the people what they want. You know what I mean? And so like, I, I don't really understand any analyses that sort of cheer on one side versus another. But I do think it is, um, this year in particular is an interesting one because um, just to kind of um, backtrack a little bit, the e-collections budget, if I remember correctly, from like 2016 to 2017, extending through 2020, 
grew extremely fast. We're talking like 20% year-over-year growth. Um, 2021, we have the first year where the e-collection is now surpassing the physical collections budget. We sort of have a couple of years where it's like you can't really look at anything because from a from a usage perspective because of you know everything that went on. So any comparisons there I think are are wrong when you compare 2021 to 2023 as an example. Um, uh, but I am curious your view now on e-collections. I think like it is an important question to ask. Like knowing what we know today, what is how should we interpret? Um, the relationship between funding and circulation. Is there, like, what is the dynamic there? Does funding, increasing funding induce more usage? What is like, how, how should we think about, like, um, you know, it's asked within the context of, you know, physical versus e-collection specifically, but generally speaking, even as it applies to certain categories, if we decide to fund something, like add more dollars into that, um, what is the the outcome in terms of um, uh, usage? Does it go up? Does it have no relationship at all? Like, what what is your take today? It kind of depends on what we're spending the money on. Um, in the early years, when we were adding money, we would buy new platforms. Like, we added Hoopla, and all of a sudden, uh, kids could get access to comics on an, an app at home, and so that added a lot of Cirque. Um, and not surprisingly, the same happened when we added Canopy, um, when we, you know, add new books. If we spend money with ebooks, it's not really much different than the physical because we do three to one holds to holding ratios um, in both formats. So it, it's more with that situation, it's more about getting the books in a timely fashion because our users, I think everybody is kind of like, I'm happy to get it. If I want to read Harry, I want to he- read it fast because everybody's talking about it. And I want to, if I get the copies in, in physical format and enough of them, like the Michelle Obama, we just guessed 300 at the beginning, which was great because it's, we really saw the surf, we got it in and it's just been around and it continues to circulate. We still have a lot of those copies. Um, but it, we're not like this year, we're spending a lot of money on magazine archives, which don't actually get counted in the CERC. So things that we spend money on, such as all of our wonderful reference databases, that China roots, that's money being spent, but it's not counted as eCERC. eCERC is just eBooks, e-audiobooks, e-magazines, you know, e-movies, e-music. So, and there's certain formats like e-music, people just don't really want to come to the library for that because they have spot, you know, Spotify and Pandora. Mm-hmm. There's certain areas where we lost the physical circ and we're not gaining the e-circ for it. So I don't know okay. if that really answered it, but it's year to year, it's different. And we added a lot of new platforms in the early years, which is why we really needed to add a lot of money. And now there's not really many new big products out there. You know, yeah. China Roots, it was pretty inexpensive. The magazines are about $7,000 each. So mm, Interesting. Um, do you have a, uh, like a, dollar efficiency metric internally so when it comes to like um do you track for example like for this category or this type of product um like how many dollars we're effectively spending per circ well for databases we do because it's pretty straightforward and we try to make sure that the cost per search is four dollars or less um with ebooks it's kind of impossible to do that because 
Some publishers will charge you $9 for a copy, but it only lasts for a year. And then others will give it to you for life, but charge you $90 for the title. Mm. And that's one of the reasons why the costs are more expensive, because I don't remember any specific title, but the average physical book is about anywhere from $21 to $30 per copy, where the ebook version can be from Penguin Random House. We can be paying, you know, $40 to $90 for it. Mm-hmm. E-audiobooks are very expensive. They're probably about $170. This is this is one of the things that worries me a little bit from a macro perspective. The publishers, um, I mean, pardon the language, but they're um they're, they're not very yeah. 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 It's not very good. <laughs> yeah. I, I do remember when the early days of ebooks and Harper Collins said, we're going to charge you, you know, $21, but only allow it to circulate 26 times. And we thought that's crazy. Ebooks don't go away. And now I think, oh, that's the perfect model because that's probably what we get out of a physical book. And it seems like a fair model. Like mm-hmm. we're going to say me cost charge you the same as a physical book and give you a similar circ. Yeah. And then if people don't use it, it'll stay there for years. Um, I would love for us to, um, this, this feels like the right moment to be developing more, um, financial and operating discipline around this category. I just don't, well, not to say that we don't have it. It's more just out of abundance of concern of saying like the publishers are going to do what market forces tell them. And like, I wouldn't want us to, um, just be like rubber stamping a collections budget every year without that that level of stuff, you know? Um, and I'm sure this is already on your agenda and yeah. you're already thinking about it. So so rather than thinking about metrics, what we think about is how much, you know, we have like our overdrive budget, we have a certain amount we can spend. And so like, this is your annual budget, make sure that you're only buying so many new titles for it. So your budget isn't overspent. Mm. Um, so that's more of the way we do it. Like, Try to. We don't do an exact amount per month because September is always bigger because there's more titles, and then October and November are usually bigger because people have put holds on those titles. And we have to get more copies, but we have, you know, for an annual amount, it's like you have to stick with your budget. Yeah, and try to get control. And the ones that we have more problem with is um, Hoopla and Canopy because those are cost per use, and so. Um, when we had things like uh, during the COVID closure, the school decided Hoopla was their new school library, didn't talk to us about it. And all of a sudden I had $200,000 more out of <laughs> like what? Yeah. Um, those kind of things can happen, but they've kind of settled out and we can anticipate what we're going to spend. And then we um, rein those in by how many circs they get, how many checkouts a month. Hmm. So we do um, looks at what the average checkout is. So sometimes we'll go out like Hoopla. We get gone out farther because we know most people are only going to check out up to six items. So I can do some favors for those people with that want to spend a lot of time reading or watching TV on Hoopla or kids who are just reading through every graphic novel we have on there. Um, And that's okay because it might only be, you know, 100 people a month that are doing that. So we each platform has their own metrics and we're kind of really keeping track of it. Right. Um, but it doesn't work in the same way that we do with the databases that if our cost per circ is over this, we have to stop because it's not apples to apples. We yeah. just try to like, okay, we, this is how much we know we're going to spend and we're going to kind of keep it reined in. And we might do better holds queues on Access 360 so people move over there to get off of overdrive for a little bit. <laughs> 
maybe promote them on the ferries so that they get more um, FaceTime with people and they start using that product. So we do it in a kind of different non-mathematical way. Gotcha. So Cool. Thank you, Shelley. Sure. Thank you very much. Um, um, Commissioner Bolander. Yeah, so th thanks very much for the uh, report. And I just wanted to continue on with uh, Pete's analysis here. So just so I understand, it, it appears that eBooks are more expensive than books or can be. Can be. Right. And that's because of evil publishers. And that's my, my I said that, not you. <laughs> um, so, okay. And so when we budget for this and we look at the, obviously demand, like we're very focused on what the patrons want and we provide that service. So it seems to me that it's just to, to, to Pete's point about managing that and getting an economic model that's going to make sense so we can plan better. So again, it's not just rubber stamping, but more importantly, um, I'm just curious if there's any kind of collective bargaining for making that a little bit cheaper for, you know, I mean, because we've got budget, right? There's lots of other library systems that don't, it seems, well, again, I, we could go philosophically why it's, you know, zero cost almost to do anything digital. And I understand they have to make money. Believe me, I'm an author. I get it. Right? But you know, you're not going to be a billionaire off being an author, but I mean, I was just, again, the, the economic models of how we can really like go down and figure out how to balance this because, you know, it's, it's important that we just, there may be additional, you know, resources we have to put towards it or move things around. But, but I do really think that, you know, we are meeting the demand of the patron. It seems pretty clear. So when that, that's what every good business does, right? The customers want this, we give them this full stop and, you know, you're doing a great job at that. And I'm glad you're doing it and not me because <laughs> that's a hard job. So I just want to know if there's any kind of thoughts on that or ways to make this a little less onerous. Yeah, there 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 has been a lot of um library there's been a lot of talk in the profession. There's been some states who have actually had lawsuits against the publishers trying to maybe I'm looking at Michael maybe he remembers. It all seems to be the old northeast my uh, my old stomping ground that was the big lawsuits, but I think they've all kind of backed off at this point. Yeah, we're in a period of détente, I would say. So our trade group, the American Library Association, they've done some advocacy. I think locally, Representative Anna Ashu in Silicon Valley was um, involved in some legislative efforts. So it is something that Congress is aware of. Um, but the big five publishers basically have monopolistic power. Yeah. And so our peers in the industry, they have nowhere near our relative buying power. So it is really a, a challenge. And I would just add to what Shelley said, um, at a high level, we spent 11% of our budget last year on collections. And that is in line with, you know, the industry norms. Um, but yeah, thank you. And there's also a, um, a young... Uh, cooperative called the Palace Project, where a lot of libraries are getting together, including the state of California, and trying to negotiate different terms. So some publishers have done things like, we'll give it to you at this lower price, and you can have up to 30 checkouts, and we'll let five patrons have it at a time. And they're like negotiating all these kind of interesting different pricing models. Um, so far, we haven't moved over to that because it requires you have yet another platform. 
<laughs> and there's not really any of the big publishers. And we have a lot of um, platform fatigue amongst our users. But I, I am looking into, you know, jumping in and um, I'm trying, now I'm blanking on the name of the app we have to get. The Palace Project is the marketplace. Is that also the app name? I'm looking at Michael to help me there. Yeah. Yeah. So we have simply E. So if you want a universal, like I can use access or overdrive regardless of what, where it's at. Um, but we're going to switch from that to go with this palace project. Um, and then we could, if we wanted to buy some copies of books through there, but we've had very um, low success getting people to use simply E because they, you know, people pick a platform they like. I'm an access or Hoopla person because the whole queues are low in access and I want things fast or Hoopla because I want things immediately. I have little patience. So that's where I go. Other people live in Libby and they don't ever, you know, check to see if we have it someplace else in our catalog. But we do look at things like we bought a lot of copies early on. However, now it's been a year, Hoopla picked it up. We're just going to stop having it in overdrive and then people can move over. We do that a lot with the audiobooks because I'd rather pay about $2 a circ rather than have to pay another, you know, $180 for a copy that's going to go one person at a time. Um, thank you very much, Commissioner Bolander. Um, Commissioner Lomax Garaducci. Thank you so much, Madam President. So Shelley, again, I, I wanna thank you for this report. You know, the thing that I really enjoyed uh, along with the DEI audit, which I have, you know, I'm anxious to see what some of the outcomes of that. I really loved page 15 and where you started to give us some information on the trends of what is being checked out. Um, maybe could you talk a little bit more about um, uh, these various trends and how you how your team is going to respond to them. Um, I really loved, obviously, the children's in, the increase of the children's graphic novels. I just think that that's fantastic because you know it's both visual and it's reading. You know, and so it really allows children that learn differently um, um, to be able to um, express themselves or see themselves in these stories. Um, but just it, just in general, how 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 are these informing your work? So it's often very different depending on the topic. So the children's graphic novels, we saw it was high demand mm -hmm. as a former children's librarian. That's kind of a no brainer. It's like, let's buy five copies of all of these mm -hmm. for every branch, right? Yeah. And so we we just spent a lot of money last year and you can see mm -hmm. like, oh, if we have lots of copies mm -hmm. and, and also more titles, there's just a lot of titles coming out. There's a lot of, you know, wonderful, you know, different types of people you can see in each of these, mm -hmm. you know, titles. It's really become a very diverse collection. Mm -hmm. So we just spent a ton of cash on it. And then, oh, that worked out really great. But then what I was thinking of sharing, but then my list got really long, um, was travel books. Cirque's really down on those. But we also know that there just wasn't anything published for two years. So in the little small collection we have right now, Cirque's really well. And when I was trying to go to Quebec and couldn't get a book for three months, I know we need more. <laughs> so we're going to put a lot of money into travel and maybe buy 20 copies of each of those just to regrow that collection. So some of the stats we use um, to help move money, but we might um, end up putting more money in areas just because we can um, know something's going on in the industry. 
That's great. Yeah. And I also want to applaud you on the DEI audit. Um, I, I was uh, oversaw the um, work at the, the the library, the university library where I, I work at. And we actually did an audit on the um, music collection in the conservatory. And it, it fundamentally impacted the curriculum, meaning that the curriculum that we now offer um, is actually changed, you know, to not defocus on the, the Western canon of, of music, but to look at composers um, that are more contemporary, which are oftentimes people of color. What do you think are going to be some of the, the goals that you're excited about among the ones that you've listed on page 17? Well, so the, the way of our thinking about doing the audit has really changed. At first, we thought, oh, we're going to pick one group of people and buy more books for them, and then we'll pick a different group of people. And then we realized that's not how publishing works. We have to think about all the groups of people and mm-hmm. work with a bunch of people at the main to find different mm-hmm. um, titles for those areas. So we started with the African-American Center. Hormel Center wanted to make their collection circulating too. So we're working with them and we're going to, um, I think they're launching maybe in October or November, that collection. And then, so we're buying lots of copies for them um, as well as the branches. And I, one area, I mean, we've done really good with children's books. I That's where I started my career in 1995 in the Children's Collection Development Office. And that was a topic back then. I remember, you know, books like Everybody Eats Rice, you know, we were making sure we got those for the collection, but that wasn't so much a focus for the adult collections. It was more about, you know, what got a good review regardless. Um, so that's the area of the collection. I think we need to grow our literature collections. People really love poetry in this city, as we all know. Um, so making sure we have a really diverse collection in that area and trying to find the right branch to put it in is um, our goal so that they will circulate. Cause we find there's a lot more impulse purchasing, as you might think. You know, that's what the graphic novels are about. There were copies on the shelf, so people took them. They're probably never going to put a hold on it, but if there's copies on the shelf, they'll take them. And so that's what we're hoping. And then people come in, they'll see themselves reflected in our collection. And, you know, that's our goal. Great work. Thank you so much, Shelley. Thanks. Thank you very much. Any other further, um, Commissioner Lopez? Hi, thank you so much for everything. I really enjoyed the report on the multilingual, multilingual um, collection. I do have a question on um, the graph on page 13, though. Um, and just, just enlighten me because I, I don't know if I'm reading it correct. So on the top right-hand corner, uh, books that haven't been returned, is that these are patrons who haven't come back. So I'm sorry, this oh, is okay. a patron view. Okay. So the column on the left-hand side are okay. people who were active users before we closed for COVID. Okay. And then at the very top, there's the little green box, which are new people who weren't patrons back in 2020. Um, and then how are they using our collection differently today? Okay. So I'm glad that you clarified that. So in terms of the returns, um, is there any data on, uh, you know, how, like, out of the physical books? Because I know the e-books are easy. They they take them away from you. That Like, you don't even, you don't even have to do anything, right? <laughs> like, the next day, I'm like, whoops. Yeah, by magic, they disappear. Um, and, but physical books um is there is that an issue is that an area of concern is that something that um you know 
that? Because I know there's no fees. Right. But there is a bill. There's not a fee if you return it late, but there is a bill and you get stopped. Um, okay. And you get stopped from using our e-collections as well. So people are motivated to bring them back after they hit the bill okay. status. And I don't have the, that information off the top of my head. Um, Randy would be a good person to have present on that. We haven't done that in a while. Uh, but it's it's not too bad um, in terms of return rates. I know in general, because I used to work in borrower services, um, we worked hard to get um, campaign and get people to bring stuff back. And now without the fees, um, they, you know, they're much more likely to return them because if before, like, oh, I return them, but now I owe $5 for each thing I'm returning late. Um, now I know I can just go free as long as I get them back. That's really helped us. I would just add, we monitored that phenomenon when we eliminated overdue fines in 2019, and we did not see any increase in loss rate. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Thanks. Yeah. Kathy did a really, Kathy Del Neo had done a presentation. So maybe one of the old library commission yeah. meetings, you can go back and watch the video. Okay. People's good. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. good. People are good. Yeah. <laughs> and if we don't charge them fees, there's no reason not to return it. So, okay. Yeah. Sounds good. Thank you. Um, thank you very much. Um, I I had a couple of questions before we conclude. It was fantastic. So much data, but I'm curious. Um, for example, with the DEI, if you turn to page 18, is this and you have as um, you have articulated what some of your goals are, but this is all percentages at the top here. Do you have a like what does success look like to you in terms of percentages? That is a question everyone in our industry is asking. <laughs> and so we look at this and we go, well, did I do good? I don't know. <laughs> and then we share data. There was a lot of directors that were passing around data from each other. And so I said, well, at least we have more than other people. So that's good. But it's kind of a hard thing to think about because we might want more books from you know people who wrote things in Africa or from those communities, but are they being published? Middle Eastern um, literature is one area. We just can't get enough of it published in English. Um, so that's kind of frustrating to us because we do have a community here. And just because we're not doing well with the numbers, it doesn't mean we're falling down. It just means the publishing industry is falling down. But it's definitely an area of growth for adult literature, which is great. There's a lot of publishers that put out imprints that are just focused on BIPOC communities. So that's great for us. And we have those and we um, keep purchasing. Personally, I'm going to kind of look branch by branch and see if the numbers we have kind of correlate with the racial makeup for the neighborhood. You know, if Richmond showed I had a huge African-American interest and hardly any you know, Asian interest, that would be a problem. So that's kind of how I'm thinking about if mm -hmm. we're doing a good job or not. But we don't know yet. Like nobody has done one for the publishing industry and in saying this is how many total titles you could possibly get. And some libraries have used services where they ask uh, some of our vendors to provide recommendation lists. And when they get that, they find they're just getting a bunch of academic books recommended because they bought all the good ones that were in the regular publishing industry. So maybe they did fine. Yeah. Well, I, I just encourage you, um, these stats are fantastic, but also that personal professional viewpoint of like, how do you measure success, I think is equally important to balance the data. Yeah. Um, because it's hard to know, like, well, in this era, like, 
what does what what is the right thing yeah. And um, yes, yes. I mean, we're all struggling with that in our own industries, but, and, and you kind of, you're just like, okay, well, that sounds good, but is it good? Right. I may have mentioned this on a different topic last month. The number one overriding measure of success in my mind is residents level of satisfaction with our services. And the controller's office, they have a biennial survey, and historically, they've asked a specific question about residents' level of satisfaction with various aspects of library services, including collections. And historically, we've always been rated very high. Uh, in the most recent biennial survey, they, I understand they consolidated the survey to basically overall satisfaction with library services. So we can confirm that with um, Randy and his RSA shop. But um, if the controller's office is no longer going to drill down about, you know, people's level of satisfaction with collections, technology, facilities, that's something that we will bring in-house because we do want to continue monitoring as best as possible, you know, what people are you know, seeking improvement on, what are they satisfied with? But um, yeah, I just have to give kudos to Shelly and her team because historically we've been very highly rated in that area. And I, I think that's an important measure. Great. Um, a couple more questions, if you don't mind. Um, the other thing that would be helpful at times, not throughout this whole report, but, you know, for next year when you come back to us, which we will look forward to already, Um how do we, how do certain trends, like for example, the percentage of people using ebooks versus physical books, how does that rate compared to other urban centers? Like, are we a trendsetter in one direction or another? Not that we want to be a team book or a team ebook, but I'm just curious, like, are we, is this what's going on in the world? And just well, curious. So Library Journal does put out an annual survey where they ask for circulation data on that. But for us, it's not a really a good comparison because of our budget. Yes. So we're really lucky we can do three to one turnover rates for ebooks uh, because of their very high prices. Other libraries have up to 10 holds per, before they buy another copy. So some people might be wait, having to wait a whole year before right. they get that ebook. So they're much more likely to go and check out a physical book because they probably have copies there. Right. So that's and okay, I'm on, fine. Uh, okay, we're I'll we're yeah, we're in our own yeah. category. We're, yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Connie, um, Shelley's much more modest than I am. So we are the highest circulating urban library in the state of California per capita. And then if you look nationally, we are one of the highest utilized libraries. I think we're in the top 15 circulation per capita. Um, and then there's different ways you can slice and dice in our peer groups. But there's no question this is a highly, you know, literate community, a book-loving community. And it, it's reflected in our utilization. And the 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 big book budget, as you mentioned, helps. Yeah. yeah. I think it's, I mean, I'm just kind of curious. And thank you for articulating that so, so nicely. And um, I really appreciate that. And I just, I think I have one or two quick questions. In the team book versus the team ebook um, discussion that we started with, I just want to say that I really appreciated the way in which you um, identify the top 10 and distinguish between the physical uh, sort of the books um, versus the ebooks. And I think it's so important to notice, as you said, four of the top 10 
physical books were kids books. And so I just want to just, you're, you come from the field of children's, um, as a children's librarian, the more we can have physical books in the hands of kids, the better it will be. And I just want to also say thank you for the time and effort you put into the free books, because that has been, I mean, that's that, you know, you, we see that that has been, um, you know, that we're spending 1.3 million and that has risen over the years from fiscal year 20. Well, that was, um, you know, to now. And I just want to say that's such an important thing. And I just want to thank you and your team for the efforts. Um, and then finally, I just wanted to say that this is such great stats. And I'm just like, when you're learning about people not um, using their, you know, returning to becoming a library, uh, a user of the library after the pandemic, you're looking, drilling down at the branches and looking at usage and just wanting to make sure that that information is going out to your colleagues as tools to think through how to make things better in their communities and how to make the community members feel more engaged and connected and know that these resources are there. So the data is great and the, what the work you're doing, and I just want to be sure that it's being disseminated to be action items. Yeah, we definitely did. We do. Um, we had a meeting with the branch managers and kind of went through this whole right. similar thing, but maybe in a little bit of different way because they're librarians. Um, and we talked about like looking at your CERC versus your collection size and maybe rethinking biographies is an area that people kind of read them now at the beginning. And then they kind of sit. So maybe you can shrink that space, make more room for your children's graphic novels, um, something right. like that. Yeah. Right. Well, thank you. I just want to, on behalf of all of us, I just want to thank you for the incredible work you do so humbly, but yet so powerfully. And if if you could only just take on the, the five publishers and change them, then we'd, you'd really be a superstar, but you are a rock star already. So thank you. Thank and you. thank you to your incredible team and also to Randy and his team for the partnership you have in giving us this report. So thank you. Thanks so much. Um, so now we turn to item number four, which is a discussion on the city librarian's report. So once again, I turn this over to our uh, city librarian, Michael Lambert. Thank you, President Wolf. We have a number of presentations this evening, and I'm pleased to introduce our first report. It's actually a nice segue from the previous presentation. Um, earlier this year, back in February, you all approved the FY24-25 budget. As part of the city librarians report, we're back this evening with an update on how that budget progressed through the board of supervisors and ultimately with sign off by the mayor. Our CFO, Mike Fernandez, is here to provide this budget update. Thank you, Michael. Good evening, commissioners, President Wolf, Vice President Wolf. Um, so today I'm very pleased to come before you and give you the latest update on the budget. Um, today, we're going to look through the overview of the budget, um, the calendar, where we are, the sources and uses, some highlights of the process as it, as it concluded, summary of the investments that you all approved back in February, some changes since then, and um, also a notation on the Friends uh, annual gift. So let's get started. Um, just some context as we as we get going here. So revenues um, are lagging a bit behind inflation. And what that means is while they are growing, our expenses are growing a little bit faster. And you'll see the implications of that in the in the slides ahead. Um, 
other departments, so you know, as I briefed you in February, we're, we're facing cuts and did have to, to make some significant cuts, which we did not have to do. We're insulated thanks to really the hard work of everyone at the library, staff, um, you all here present, um, all your hard work, as Michael men had mentioned just a second ago, you know, we're annually rated very highly and that love translated in, of course, to the LPF baseline being reestablished for the next 25 years, historic achievement. So within that context, um, as we worked with the mayor's office through the annual process, we did end up proposing a budget that just exceeded $200 million for fiscal year 24 due to the conditions as they continue to progress um, at, the, at the board that did come down to just under $200 million for fiscal year 24 and 186 million for fiscal year 20 uh fiscal, fiscal year 25 um we did carry all the proposals that you had approved back in february and they were all accepted which is fantastic those areas were primarily just as a reminder in the areas areas of racial investments in racial equity enhancing digital ac access and supporting the city's economic recovery so in discuss in discussing how we define success uh, the goal of the budget is really to lay out how, how we intend over the next two years to enable our dedicated staff here at the library to really meet our mission. And we're very pleased that this budget will allow us to keep every neighborhood library open seven days a week while making critical investments into our workforce. This budget also invests in infrastructure to ensure that visitors and staff alike have spaces that, that, that can best align really how they're used now and in the future. And we're also, as you just heard, seeking to diversify and expand access to our collections. So we're very excited about that. Here we are on the calendar. We're all the way at the bottom right corner. Here we are in August. The mayor signed the budget. The funds are becoming available now through, through the various cities' processes. And I will just have you note real quickly in the upper left, it starts again in October. So it's coming up pretty soon. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much. Um, so approximately half of our budget, um, just do, just for your reminder, does come from property tax. That's roughly half of the, of the library preservation fund. If there's any changes in the current year uh, in revenue, we'll come back to you and update you at that time. Um, and a little bit less than 1% of our budget does come from other sources. Now, I do have a little note here at the bottom. We're showing $199 million. Uh, dollars this year um, in the annual appropriation ordinance which is the legislation the board passes they are showing a slightly higher amount due to the way the controller's office decide to put in the board of supervisors cuts um, which you will see in a little bit or a little bit larger and so they are reflected a little bit differently in the annual appropriation ordinance but we're not allowed to spend any of that money so what you're seeing here is our true appropriation this is what we're allowed to spend this year On the expenditure side, of course, the budget is a reflection of our priorities. And really, number one investment year over year is staff, and it's not even close. It's roughly 60%, a little bit lower. And that reflects that really, while we are a collection of things and we do really great work on programming and, and providing materials, and that's very crucial to everything we do, the library Although, though, at the end of the day, it really is an organization of people that really make all this happen, and the budget does reflect that. 
The capital and other one-time expenses tend to be cyclical. And as I uh, mentioned last time I was here, it is pretty high in 24. You see that big jump from 23 to 24. And it does go back down in 25, which is why the budget went down quite a bit. On the lower right table, um, we are seeing the full-time equivalent position. So FTE is means full-time equivalents. Despite the financial outlook, I'm sure you've all been hearing in the news and everything else, we really did feel comfortable and confident in adding the new positions that we did, which equate to full-time equivalency of 13 new positions. So you'll see the jump from 23 to 25 is 13. The reason why 24 is a little bit lower is the city recognizes we can't hire people on July 1. So those are entered into the budget less than a full position and then they just become full positions in 25. So um, some budget highlights for you. The strategic and budget priorities, we, you know, we do as a team when we're going through the budget process, we do evaluate all the proposals we see really through this lens. Um, and we are excited for the new strategic planning process that we'll be able to inform future cycles um, as we go. Really the biggest, the biggest new ongoing investment are the new positions. So just some quick highlights on those. We are bringing the health and safety associates off contract workers. They are coming in-house to the library. We're very excited about that. We saw a lot of demand for bookmobile services. And so we did respond to that demand and added those positions. So thank you again. Um, we're able to expand security coverage at seven days a week. We're better supporting our staff for uh, for implementing the Racial Equity Action Plan, so giving them some additional resources, as well as enhancing our audiovisual audio visual team to really put in that hybrid programming that we learned how to do over the last few years. And of course, the other large investments include those one-time capital investments. So here you can see really the same table that I brought to you back in February. Um, the top table is a reflection of those investments that we brought to you to approve and you did approve. Our forecasts were pretty good. So that only changed net $10,000. That's pretty spot on. So what what, you, what we told you it was gonna cost is pretty much what it cost. Um, as we went through the budget process, though it is important to note, the board did put on reserve the funds for the Ocean View project for fiscal year 24 and 25. And really what that means is that in the future, we're gonna have to go back to them to release those funds. Looking at the project and how it's currently funded, that's not a risk to the project's progress. Where, where we are right now, we don't we don't need those funds yet. And we, when we do need those funds, we'll work with the board to gain access to those funds. So key changes, what changed since you last saw this in February? Well, the revenue outlook improved. So was, that was good news. The library preservation fund since February was Increase, the projection was increased by 3.3 million in 24 and 2.2 in 25. Um, however, our cost did increase more than that. So we are using additional fund balance of 3.8 million in 24. And uh, really those drivers of those costs were the capital costs for mission and our tenants improvements were roughly 6 million and that was pretty evenly split. Also, we had an increased cost as a services of other departments. One significant change was the way the city pays for the, our Office of Contract Administration, which is where we do all our purchasing. We used to not pay them directly for that, but starting this year, we will now start paying for that. So that was a little, little nice little surprise in our budget. Um, we also have 
um, some workers' comp projections to increase this this time around. And just through a, kind of a quirk in the budgeting timing, the City Hall fellows that we really enjoy working with, they're just not included through the February process. They get added later. So those are the, the three main drivers there. And again, the board did cut. So a lot of it's ongoing. In total is in seven, uh, 725000 in in 24 and 729000 in year 25. We did work very closely with the board and their legislative analyst. And we looked through the budget and we saw that, you know, we can really absorb these cut, cuts without having a noticeable impact to our services and programs. The way some of it's just in timing and, th and things like that. So we shouldn't really feel any impact from these. So we, we felt comfortable accepting those and moving forward. And lastly, the annual gift from uh, the friends. So the library, uh, the board approved our friends annual grant, which is great. As you know, the library enjoys a model partnership with the friends that allows the library to really enhance the level of service we can provide to the community. This year's award was a million and 30,000, up just tiny, tiny bit from last year of a million thousand, a million two thousand. The gift is structured so that we have both a mix of unrestricted funds and restricted funds that come from the donors um, and their endow and their endowments. And the funding, the, the funding that this supports really is um, our signature programming. So things like Summer Stride, the One City, One Book program, all of our cultural programming throughout the year. And for this coming fiscal year, there we're looking at $54,011 in grants for programming at the here at the main, $141,560 in grants to branches, which amounts to about $5,000 per branch, and $150,000 for the JMC Hormel LGBTQIAA Plus Center. And with that. Oh, and I do want to say we certainly do appreciate all the donors and the library supporters for the financial support that makes that grant award possible. And now with that, thanks everyone involved in the budget process. Really want to thank all the divisions, the, the leadership within the divisions, their staff for their countless hours is a big lift. Um, special thank you to Maureen. Um, it's guided, guided us through this process. Christine, my budget manager, and of course you, Michael, <laughs> for being our leader. And, and you, all of you commissioners, you, you all are so important in this process, the guidance you provide, taking the public comment and helping us really bring those in. We really appreciate it. And yeah, welcome all questions and feedback. Thanks. Thank you, Mike. Congratulations. Uh, well done. This was Mike's first full fiscal cycle uh, leading the finance team. And uh, congratulations again. And Mike's daughter is adorable on the previous slide. <laughs> All right, so it is now my pleasure to introduce our next presenter, Brian Weaver. He is the floor manager for the third floor here at the main library, and he is leading the rollout of our exciting new digital music platform, Bay Beats. Hello, commissioners. Uh, thank you very much for allowing me to speak today about uh, Bay Beats. Um, Bay Beats is a uh, brand new online music collection that the library will launch in the fall, featuring the exciting diverse sounds of the Bay, of Bay Area musicians. It is powered by Musicat, 
a platform created by Rabble, uh, which is a company located in Madison, Wisconsin, um, which has designed its platform specifically with libraries in mind. Uh, the way it works is that local musicians submit their music to be included on the Baybeats website. Baybeats curators review the submissions and uh, select the albums to be added to the collection. Uh, the artists whose music is selected receive a $250 honorarium for their album. And then once we launch the website, anyone interested in listening to Bay Area local music can stream it, while SFPL cardholders have the additional uh, option of downloading the music. Um, you may recognize that image on the right of the slide. Uh, that was uh, the central spotlight uh, on the library's homepage from May 1st to July 31st. While we were accepting submissions for the first round ever of Bay Beats, um, Bay Beats has, a long, uh, has been a long time coming. Uh, the, the first task force to work on this project was formed back in 2018. And um, that was after Rabble approached SFPL to let us know about their product. Um, I was asked to be on that work group and uh, at that time to explore the possibility of using uh, Music Cat. And um, we contacted uh, other libraries who had already started using it, like Nashville Public and Austin Public and Seattle Public. And uh, we demoed the platform ourselves. We determined that we did indeed wanted to move forward with it. And um, so we uh, we came up with the baby's name. Um, we had a logo designed uh, by our graphic design department, and uh, we initiated and completed the city contract process um, to work with Rabble. And uh, we established the Baybeats website, baybeats.sfpl.org. Um, but then, of course, the pandemic hit, the library closed, and many of us uh, on the work group, including myself, were assigned to various disaster service work positions. And uh, I didn't even return to work until June 2021. But uh, last summer, the library resumed putting out its call um, throughout the system to join committees and task force, it, uh, and um, including the reformed Bay Beats task force. This, this time I was asked to be the chair and I accepted. Um, the, the response from staff was enthusiastic with over uh, 20 people across all classifications wanting to be on the task force. And then in October 2022, we had our first meeting. Um, our charge was to create a work plan to launch the site, which involved devising a marketing plan, creating the rules around the submission process for the musicians, uh, formulating a selection process, including uh, vetting criteria for the submissions received. And then of course, actually launching the site and planning a corresponding event to celebrate the launch which will hopefully happen this fall. Um, ultimately, we realized there would need to be two separate marketing campaigns, one for when we announced that uh, we were accepting submissions. That happened earlier this year. Um, and then another for when we launched the website after we finished reviewing the music and have selected the 100 albums that uh, will be added to the collection and made available for streaming and download. Um, our marketing campaign, our marketing campaign must have worked. We received over 600 submissions. Uh, we weren't really sure what to expect. Uh, this being the first time doing this, um, but we consider this a big success. Um, success being that uh, it's going to 
take us a long time to go through all those submissions. Um, the image you're looking at here was provided to us by Rabel and um, shows where all the submissions came from. Early on, uh, one of the decisions we had to make was how to, to define local. Uh, does that mean just San Francisco? Uh, does it mean San Francisco and Oakland? Does it mean all of Northern California? Uh, in the end, we we settled on uh, the nine Bay Area, Bay Area counties as defined by uh, this, the Association of Bay Area Counties, um, which is what is generally referred to as the Bay Area, all the, all the counties that touch the Bay. Um, in this image, uh, uh, the darker areas are where most submissions came from. Um, and interestingly, you can see that the Mission District is the darkest. And we received 67 submissions from the Mission District. And though San Francisco in general is the city where we uh, where most submissions came from, um, we also received a substantial amount from the East Bay and the rest of the Bay Area. Uh, the, this positive response was uh, very heartening for me uh, to see as someone who's been involved in the music scene for almost 30 years here in uh, San Francisco. It's proof that there is still a vibrant, independent music scene here in San Francisco and the Bay Area, despite all the hardships of the last few years and how much artists and musicians have had to struggle with uh, job loss during the pandemic, rising rents, uh, closing of music venues and rehearsal studios and uh, and more. Um, this other data image provided us to, by Rabble shows all the different genres of music we received. Uh, rock was by far uh, the genre uh, which uh, for which we received the most submissions, rock on. Uh, but you can see uh, there are also significant numbers of dance, electronic, pop, rap, and hip hop. And, uh, and in general, we've received a, a, a wide variety of musical genres. Um, a big thanks to Jamie Wong in Public Affairs for um, helping us craft our marketing and publicity plans. And to our graphic design department for helping us um, design posters and postcards and business cards. And to our media services department who helped create uh, some cool videos uh, that we posted to social media. Um, and of course, to the Bay Beats Task Force members who helped um, set up our partnership with Amoeba Music, um, mailed out print collateral, um, dropped off flyers and posters in person to record stores, music venues, cafes, music stores, music schools, and more. Um, on the Bay Beats website, we describe our Bay Beats curators as a selection of SFPL staff and Bay Area music influencers, community jurors who will help to assess submissions. Uh, the idea for the community jurors is to provide um, expertise in reviewing various musical genres we've received to help with outreach to their music communities and networks and to provide an authoritative public face for the jury. Uh, you might recognize some of these uh, faces, some of uh, some major players in the local music scene and some of them have uh, already established connections with the library. Um, launching the site. So with the submissions round having closed on July 31st, uh, the community jurors are currently helping us task force members review all the submissions. Um, of course, the task force is doing the bulk of the work. Um, and we, uh, we provided instructions to the community jurors on how to log in and use the back end of the Baby Eats website to uh, rate and review the submissions. Um, we also supplied them with uh, the criteria we've devised to vet the submissions. Um, 
And uh, while we're reviewing uh, the music, we have a placeful holder on the Baby Eats site, which you can see there on the left of the uh, of this slide. Um, basically says uh, submissions have closed. We're reviewing them. Check back in the fall when we launch the site. And if you submitted music, we will contact you by the end of summer. Um, I've included on the right an image of the Austin Public Library's platform, which they call Electric Ladybird, uh, to give you an idea of what the Baby Eats site will look like um, once it launches with a um, selection of albums right there on the home page uh, that you can click on and start listening to. I want to give a shout out to the members of the Baby Eats Task Force. Uh, the staff who signed up for this task force uh, are musicians, former rec record store clerks, DJs, record collectors, bookers at clubs, music teachers, and uh, their enthusiasm for local music is what in, is what is really making this project work. Um, thank you uh, very much, commissioners. I hope you are, are as excited as me to listen to all this amazing music that we're, uh, that we're receiving um, that was created right here in our own uh, backyard. Uh, having reviewed a lot of the submissions we've received, I can tell you that the quality is high. And uh, along with the large uh, quantity submitted, um, it, it was, has restored my belief that San Francisco and Bay Area remain one of the most important music centers of the United States, if not the world. And I'm thrilled that uh, SFPL is supporting local music in this way on such a large scale, um, the likes of which I don't think we've done before, um, at least not in the 20 years I've, uh, or almost 20 years I've worked here at the library. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Brian. On a personal level, I can validate this is creating a buzz in the community. I was in the dog patch this past weekend at a place called the Sea Star listening to some live music, a rock band. And uh, the band was excited to let me know that they submitted for this platform. So well done. All right. Our closer today is Jason Hill, the manager of The Mix at SFPL. Uh, he's going to be sharing a report on a very special visit by the first partner, Jennifer Siebel Newsom. Thank you, Michael. I am tall, so let me figure this out. <laughs> Can you hear me? Okay, good. <laughs> All right, here we go. So hello, hello, commissioners and Maureen and Dolly. Um, I have the pleasure of telling you about this awesome event that took place on July 20th, one of my favorite events that I've ever taken a part of since I've been working for SFPL. Um, it was a visit from California first partner, Jennifer Siebel Newsom, and she came to engage with 30 of our Yale interns. Those are youth engaged in library leadership interns. Um, and they were super excited to meet her along with our very special VIP guests that we got to come. It was Mayor London Breed, California Poet Laureate Lee Herrick, California State Librarian Greg Lucas, um, California Arts Council Executive Director Jonathan Moscone, and I think someone over there was there too. Michael Lambert was there. Um, do the next slide. Cool. Um, so the day we spent, it was a celebration of literacy, creative expression, and community. It included three workshops that were led by representatives from the ODC Dance and Art Center, you Speaks and The Mix. Um, the teams also received copies of books selected from the First Partners Summer Book Club, um, which is an annual initiative in partnership with the California State Library to help children of all ages cultivate a love of reading and books. And if Shelly was here, I would thank her because all the books, free books came from her and her team. 
And so it was great to see all the teams getting copies of those books. Um, and these are the, oh, you could see on the slide, these are the um, partners that we partnered with. So the Yale interns broke up into three groups. So we had a poetry workshop led by Lee Herrick with support from um, Youth Speaks that was led by Executive Director Michelle Mushley. Um, in that workshop, the teens were given prompts um, to help them guide them to um, write their own poetry. Um, and in the Mix Maker workshop that was led by me, it was a hands-on craft where we made buttons and the teens took um, photos from the books and text. And what we did um, was photocopy the pictures and text that they chose, things that like that they felt related to them. And we turned those into buttons. And in the dance and movement workshop that was um, led by ODC, it was um, Private Freeman and Colton Wall. And they led um, a dance workshop um, where the kids took certain emotions and did um, interpretive dance with those. And that was really special to see some of the mixed interns. It really made me happy because they're very shy and to see them like moving around, very awesome. Um, and then the teens presented their creations um, to the first partner and guests. And I was very impressed by everything that they did. Um, one of the ones that stuck out was a teen who um, read his poem and it was very personable and vulnerable. I don't know if you remember. And he just talked about the things that he goes through as a teen and some of the troubles that he has um, throughout his life. And he was, it was amazing. I could tear up just thinking about it. Um, and very proud of them. They were awesome. Oops, sorry, that was supposed to be there. So we're gonna go to the next slide. So it was wonder, really wonderful to see um, how fully engaged um, the first partner was along with all the teens. Everyone was engaged and present. Um, I think everyone had a good time, if you can see from the photo here. And we see everyone there, it's great. Um, and I'm just gonna close with a few more pictures that you can see. We have our VIP guests up there. Um, the dance routines are on the right and the poetry down here and the button making. And it was an amazing event. And we're glad we had it. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. I my thank you slides. So <laughs> Jason, you and your team did a remarkable job as gracious host. There was so much joy and delight in the mix that day. Uh, Madam Mayor was very gracious. So many teens got to take selfies with the mayor. It just, it really was a special day. And that concludes the City Librarian's Report. Um, thank you very much for, um, to Mike, to Brian, to Jason, for your incredible, very rich and um, profound and wonderful reports and what we're doing. It's really exciting. Before we have comment here, I'm gonna turn it over for public comment uh, here in Karat Auditorium. And following public comment here, we'll go to our participants via the Zoom link. So public comment on this item is now open here in Karat Auditorium. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com and PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. So I'd like to suggest that maybe the Vice Chair would like to pay attention to what I'm saying. I only get three minutes and you have as much time as you want on any item. 
one of the important things in the valuable and I think important slogan that the library has is free and equal access. That's the first words basically in the substance. And one of the things that concerns me is that so much and more and more is not free and not equal. This is particularly true with all kinds of electronic access and materials. So ebooks are not the same as print books. Uh, and as far as team, the only team that I see in operation is the library touting constantly the internet, the social media, and the ebooks. There's constantly how do you get with ebooks? What do you find ebooks? I don't see where, what does the library have in the wealth of material with books, uh, how to look them up on a catalog, for example. I always remember last name, first name, and so on. There's nothing that really uh, focuses on getting with books in the same way that you have for e-materials. E-materials can't so easily be shared as a book. E-materials you can't even access. There are ways, if you don't have the gear, whereas anybody can access a book. I think that the library could mitigate some of the problems that it has with free and equal access. So for example, you send weekly detailed updates on what's going on at the library, what the new hours might be, which branches has started opening another day, nothing for the people on the mailing list who are not on your email list. How about a bulletin board at least? that has a posting for what it is you send the electronically connected folks. I haven't seen that. Uh, when you want to look at a series of books, let's say by an author or on a topic, how to fix a leaky faucet, in, a book, in the book world, you go to a shelf, you might look at three, four, five, 10 books before selecting one. In the ebook version, basically you have to borrow those books, 10 books perhaps, to find the one that you really want to use. Uh, famously, Ford years ago, the head of Ford said they can have any color as long as it's black. And when you have only ebooks, more and more titles are only ebooks, that's not free and equal access. I'm glad to hear there was some physical publicity here. Jennifer Siebel's bookmark had only a QR code. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Any other for, uh, further public comment here in Karat Auditorium? Seeing there's no further comment, further public comments here in Karat, we turn to operations. Operations, if there's anyone on the Zoom link who would like to make public comment, please put them forward. Madam President, at this time, there is no one in the Zoom uh, who wishes to make public comment. I'll pause briefly to allow anyone who wishes to to raise their hand. We have one caller. I will put them through. Caller and Dean, I am unmuting you, and you will three minutes will begin now. Hi, good evening. Can you hear me, commissioners and city librarian? Yes, we can hear you. I just wanted to, this is Naima Dean from the Western Edition branch, and I just wanted to say that this was a lovely meeting and enlightening, and I'm thankful for all the information that was shared by the expert librarians that serve our public every day. 
Um, I wanted to be, say, give a special thanks out for all the books that we were able to give away this summer as a library that record, represents an equity zone. Um, we get a lot of patrons who often come in and read, but don't check things out. And we, um, those statistics aren't often recorded. And a lot of it was, a lot of us were able to see just how much that happens by the number of books that were um, loved and enjoyed and retrieved daily by folks who had the opportunity to build their own libraries and share and discuss a lot of the titles that, um, popular titles that folks are listening to uh, or watch or reading and sharing today, the youth are sharing. They like to, um, it's like on trend, like, hey, yeah, I'm reading this. What are you reading? And now they have the opportunity to really have the same books at the same time. So that was that was really cool. And hearing uh, Jason discuss how much that was appreciated at the mix um, just highlighted that because these are populations that do need um, access and don't always have um, monetary means to get there. So thank you for prioritizing putting books in the hands of youth and adults. We got a lot of really great books for adults this year as well. And um, and then a special thanks for Shelly Cocking mentioning the work that goes into the Japanese language collection here. And just a shout out to how popular our manga collection is and how many people from Japanese community really appreciate those titles. They're very hard to get in. Um, even in Japan, we are known to have a more extensive collection than what is accessible in libraries there um, as we, and in other areas, as we learned from the Taiwanese visitors that were here more recently. Thank you very much for all the work and focus that is put into our collections and in serving our public. Have a good night. Madam President, Madam President, there are no further callers at this time. Operations, thank you very much. And thank you for um, all the public comments and um, public comment is now closed um, on this item. Um, it will now turn to questions or comments from the commissioners um, regarding Mike's presentation on finance, Brian's presentation on um, Bay Beats, and Jason's um, presentation on the visit of the first partner. Um, Commissioner Mall. The concern um, of music when you were putting together your vetting group? Um, we did do some outreach to the conservatory and the, and the jazz center, yeah. Were they on the committee or? Oh, you mean the, uh, the baby uh, curators? Yeah. Um, I don't, I, I'm not sure if we contacted anyone from those uh, organizations for it to be on the, the, the curators, the community jurors. You wanted it to be more of just an in-house library kind of thing? Well, uh, actually there was um, uh, this, uh, there was a lot of discussion about how many we should contact, how many uh, we should have on the jury. And in the end, we decided on 12 juror, community jurors. 
and uh, and the ones that we have. Uh, we uh, the one the one person that we have that um, would uh, represent uh, Western classical music is Hyoshin Na, and uh, she um, she has done uh, musical programs here at the library before. Um, so we do have a, a established connection with her and, um, um, and yeah, I mean, in the future, uh, you know, we'll be doing, we hope to do this annually and, uh, yeah, hopefully in the future, we'll, um, maybe have someone from the jazz center on the, uh, on the jury. That would be great. That would be fantastic. I mean, the only reason I ask, I live next door to the jazz center, mm -hmm. Um, and I'm aware of their outreach to local musicians mm -hmm. that we have such a wealth of music in the Bay Area. And it would be great for the library to do more, you know, um, interchange with those organizations. Yeah. But I think it's a great idea. Bay Beats. Yeah. Yeah. Um, hopefully next year we can we can do more outreach to those organizations for sure. Thank you, Commissioner Mall. Any further other comments? Uh, Commissioner Lopez. Uh, thank you, uh, baby. It sounds exciting. I'm eager to hear some of the winners and, you know, the submissions. I wonder if, you know, and this is in the future, I'm just putting it up there. If you could also do it by category, by age too, mm -hmm. like, um, you know, because <laughs> um, I feel that oftentimes I mean, it's a struggle to be a musician mm -hmm. and, you know, but the the younger generation oftentimes gets left out. So it's maybe, you know. Oh, I was going to say the other way around. <laughs> I think the older generation gets left out. Uh, right. <laughs> right. I I know, but I, I feel that, you know, because I see you in my neighborhood, I always see uh you know, young uh, students like, here's my CD, you know, like, and, and, or stream this and, you know, check me out, give me a like. Mm -hmm. And um, it also because it's an industry that, you know, it takes years to, to develop and then to learn a lot about, mm -hmm. you know, like, how do you uh, record, not how do you record, how do you promote Thank you. I was going to say, how do you publish? But um, so I was just wondering, and I'm just curious because uh, I feel that, you know, for a young person to get an early start through Babyeats mm -hmm. will be fantastic. I'm just yeah. putting it out there. Yeah, uh, I, I will say, uh, having looked through a lot of the submissions, um, there is a diversity in age uh, there. Um, and actually, one of the one of the things we thought about um, when we were first doing this is should there be a, a cutoff like at uh, uh, eighteen? You know, if we should allow for for uh, minors to to submit and and in the end, I mean, we had to talk to this uh, city attorney's office and all that, and and we did get uh, uh, permission to allow for for uh, minors to um, submit, but. Uh, it doesn't seem like there are a lot of uh, uh, maybe just a handful that, that are under 18. Um, and uh, and uh, yeah, I, I would say there's even with the rock, there's a lot of aging rockers in there. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Uh, and some of the, some of the, um, 
uh, the categories like uh, country and and folk are older, um, you know, artists that are doing it. So yeah. And just another, maybe, uh, any speculations as to why the mission seemed to be like very popular for this? Well, I I um, I used to live in the mission. Uh, for 17 years, I lived in the mission. I know it's a, um, uh, it is a, a, a very artistic um, district uh, of San Francisco, one of the major centers of art and music. And uh, having been part of that uh, scene, um, I, I've, I've lived it and experienced it. And it's, it's great to see that it's still, that's still the case. Yeah. And I would say that's uh, the reason, one of the reasons that that's um, popular. Also, uh, one of the members on the task force lives in that neighborhood. I was suspecting that uh, um, they were all coming from his house, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Any further comments? Oh, Commissioner Lo Lomax Garducci. Very quickly, I just was interested in the honorarium. I know it's really important for artists to get their work out there. That's part of the whole process. Yeah. Um, they participate so that you know others can can engage. Um, but talk to me a little bit about the honorarium. Obviously, this is a public you know institution, mm -hmm. um, and it's for the greater good to share um, uh, for communities in the Bay Area and worldwide. Um, but talk to me a little bit about how you talk about that um, to the artists around the honorarium piece. Yeah, so uh, we made it clear on um, on our publicity materials that we were offering a $250 honorarium for their, for their music, for an album's worth of music. And um, uh, that, that amount was actually the amount that was recommended by the company Rabble and is generally, uh, I think the average amount of what, uh, the other library systems that are using, um, that platform, uh, offer. And, um, and yeah, I mean, there was, there's some discussion, uh, amongst the task force members as to, you know, is that a good amount? Is it too much? Is it too little? But, um, you know, uh, some, some of the task force members know from experience of having their music on, you know, like Spotify and other, um, streaming services that, uh, you know, you just get fractions of pennies on those things. And so, uh, and also, you know, with the artists, they keep they keep all the rights to their music. It's you know they're not handing over any rights. Uh, the music does have to be they have to own the rights to their music. It can't be something that's like owned by some you know other company, uh, you know, uh, record company or anything. And um, and of course, they can always uh, if they do sell their music to some other company, they can take down the music um, from from Bay Beats. And uh, so yeah, we we in general we thought it was a, a very fair amount. No, I think it is too. Um, the issue is that um, it's really about them getting their music out because they keep all the intellectual yeah. property. Um, and then hopefully someone will hear their music and they might actually have some other type of opportunities for collaboration or maybe other con contractual agreement if that's something they're interested in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the other aspect of it too is um, – um, I mean, in the very beginning we were talking about, you know, would, would do, do artists – would they even want – 
money. I mean, obviously they would want the money, but some people, some artists uh, would are just want their music out there. They just want it to be heard and to, yeah, like you said, just have that opportunity to, to have people hear it and, and, and listen to it and to get it out there and, you know, maybe something uh, happen with it. My last comment, and I know it's late night. Um, there's something very important about being seen and heard in this whole process. And so the archival piece that the library is playing is really critical uh, for people that um, um, who may never have had an opportunity outside of the circle of influence they had and might be small. So we just opened up the open people up to the world so others could hear voices um, and hear music that um, outside of something of this um, nature in a public realm would never have that opportunity. Yeah. And I think that that is a thing that is very attractive to people to know that they're known yeah. and that the, uh, a public institution like the San Francisco Public Library is also the place where their their work, their art is now archived. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, thank you very much. Um, I think that ends um, our comment. And I just want to say, Brian, thank you so much um, for your dedication, your leadership. I also want to make uh, thank the other 18 members of your task force mm -hmm. who are dedicating enormous amount of time and effort. And please also thank the jurors on our behalf, the curators, for their time and effort to go through these 600. We really appreciate their participation. That's very important. So thank you. It's great yeah. to know about this, and I can't wait to start listening. Um, and since we're all card members, we can download it and we don't have to worry. <laughs> so it's a great aspect. So thank you. Thank you um, Jason, we also want to thank you for your incredible leadership um, and what a joy you had. It was so clear from having the opportunity to really introduce the Yale participants to leadership and to know that they too can assume leadership roles in their future and understand the kind of opportunities that they have. So thank you for your dedication. And Mike, congratulations on one year and um, um, for shepherding all this through so well. It was a great presentation. Glad to know everything's under control and being managed well. So thank you. So that um, is the end of our comments on the City Librarian's report. Just thank you to City Librarian Michael for your incredible efforts and um, leadership and the entire staff's contributions to all that we um, we admire and enjoy. Um, so now we move to the um, final agenda item of the day, item number five, which is adjournment. And we will open public comment before our commission discussion on this item. Public comment um, will begin here in Coret and continue on the Zoom link. So public comment is now open here in Coret. Peter Warfield, Executive Director, Library Users Association, Library Users 2004 at yahoo.com. And PO Box, <clears throat> excuse me, PO Box 170544, San Francisco, California, 94117-0544. I have said it before and I'll say it again. I think it would be, well, I think you shouldn't adjourn until you insist on having what the library commission used to have <clears throat> and what many other commissions and bodies have. And that is insist on future agendas, having an item at the end of the meeting that gives you an opportunity, all of you intelligent, talented, uh, knowledgeable folks 
and in some cases on some matters less knowledgeable, but a chance to have your say as to what you would like on an agenda, on a, on a few on future agendas. <clears throat> I heard some very interesting and I thought very worthwhile questions with respect to the comparison of costs for ebooks and how that works. Both of your tech folks seemed to be particularly interested. I think I heard something about evil publishers. I don't know about evil publishers, but I certainly think the costs and the uh, cost per use and that sort of thing is a perfectly, a very valid question to ask. Uh, as I started to say earlier, uh, an early Ford owner of the company said, folks can have any color they want as long as it's black. But when you bias, when you say, gee, aren't ebooks popular? Look how well they're doing. Maybe they're doing well because they've had a lot of good publicity. For example, you go on an ebook site, you look at an ebook title, and they recommend a whole bunch of other books. That doesn't happen in the library's catalog, but that's a kind of marketing. So yeah, you can say, oh, that might be interesting. And now you've upped the circulation on additional ebooks. Uh, there are all kinds of ways in which, as I've said, the ebooks have, I think, an advantage and even might give you a false sense of their use. If somebody is browsing through ebooks and goes through 10 of them to see which one is the best one to actually look at, when in the library they would get there would be no circulation statistic for browsing 10 books, only the one you borrow. That's not comparing apples to apples. And I think that needs to be considered too when you look at the costs and the usages of the various materials. Future agenda item. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, seeing there's no further public comment in correct um, operations, is there anyone um, via the Zoom link? Madam President, there are no callers in the queue at this time. Um, thank you very much. Uh, public comment is now closed on this item, and we will now um, move to the commission discussion and action on item five. Would someone like to make a motion to adjourn the meeting? So moved. Uh, um, we have, um, and someone like to second? I'll second. <laughs> we have Vice President Huang making a motion. <laughs> we have um, Commissioner Lopez seconding it. And I'll take the roll call. Commissioners, please say aye or no when I call your name. President Wolf? Aye. Vice President Wong? Aye. Commissioner Mall? Commissioner Lomax Giraduzzi? Aye. Commissioner Lopez? Aye. Commissioner Bolander? Aye. The, pa the motion passes unanimously. The, me uh, the meeting is adjourned. Thank you, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the summer and see you in September. In September. <laughs>